I built something last night and I want to show it to you. And this is a bad audio podcast bit. I know. Okay. You said it, not me. Wow. I, I, I built the Lego NES. Hang on. Can you hold that back up? I'll try to paint a word picture. I'll describe this tableau. Paint a word picture. Wait, is that mushroom a slice of pizza? That it's, it's a, it's a, it's a quarter round flat piece of Lego. I don't think mushrooms come in triangular shape. Look, there's a reason the mushroom's triangular, but I, I can't tell you that without spoilers, okay? Oh, wait, the Goombas are also triangular. Uh-huh. But he, you want to see the best part of this thing? I'm going to bring it over to the microphone. Wow. It's like a 1-1 one, one flip book. It, it's like a tank tread 1-1. One, one. Is that actual 1-1? One, one? Can you hold it back up one more it's time? It's actual 1-1. One, it's like the back half of 1-1. One, one. It's after the second the second pitfall. I did not look at... Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah, it's yeah. after the like, second or third. It's like after the pipes, before you get to the, the three stack of the 3-2-1 uh, like block with the star at the top. Did you follow a plan for that, or, or did you actually lay out that level design yourself? You know, I just pulled it from my brain. No, of course I followed a plan. Are you kidding? Good God, man. I don't know. I'm not that kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm okay at Lego, but I am not build one, one out of a bunch of Lego pieces in my head. Good at Lego. Even after all this time, I don't know if I've got the best read on how technically inclined you are. Um, look, I am really, really good at following instructions. Okay, sure. And I can take two technologies that already exist and glue them together pretty effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, the coolest thing I ever figured out was how to get eye movement right in Foo which was we weighted every object in the world with the materials system in the thing we built and uh, with general levels of interest. And then we built a gradient that had a, a, a fractional given some IP here away today, I guess oh. <laughs> we had a gradient that started with the center point of where your eye is pointing the ray that comes straight out from your eye. Mm-hmm. And uh, the number got lower, the further you got away from there. So those two things multiplied by each other. And then your eye just looked at the thing that was the most interesting in that cone of view. Uh, and that gave your, your, uh, that gave your, you pretty good eye movements and saccades and let you focus on things like other people's eyeballs and mouths and watch the objects that they're holding and things like that. Well, now whoever is defining what is arbitrarily interesting in the scene suddenly has a lot of power. Well, yeah. Over how the eyes work. Yeah, we had a really fun one where we left a decimal point out one time Uh-oh. and there was a beaker in the in one of the episodes that was just like the most interesting thing in the world. So everybody's <laughs> eyes tracked it, whether they, it was in front of them or not. I wish we lived in a world where a beaker was the most interesting thing. Look, Brad, the thing that was worrisome was when you turned away from the beaker, your eyes stayed locked onto the beaker. So your eyes just rolled back into your head <laughs> the further, the further you went. Hey. And the, the worst part is there's bigger eyes on the back of the eyeballs in the Fusho models. What? Why? We, we tried two different size eyes and it was easier to just do them again than it was to replace them. You can, you can just peel off the back eye. I'm not, look, man, we're not in the eye peeling business here. We're, we're, we're making VR content. It's not, it's not eye peeling you do on your own. That's some saw business. We're not, we're not making that kind of, we're making family friendly content, Brad. VR. It's for kids. <laughs> Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. Hey, Jim Brad. I'm doing well. I've noticed that I've developed a little bit of an announcer voice on that intro. I'm Brad. I'm Brad. Yeah, you got you got to like, I'm always jealous of like the radio color guys that sit in the booth and have like, just like their whole job is to ha- be interesting and have good voices. For sure. You, you know who, who I feel like is a, as an underappreciated voice is Rod Roddy. Oh, Price is Right uh, announcer, Rod yes. Roddy. Yes. Come on down. Yeah, c- come on down to that. that now that's a line. Come on down. You're the next contestant. Do you, do you think, well, okay, first off, how far back do you think he, like, he has to have a radio announcer mic, right? Like, he has a big, like, an old-timey. I don't know. Like, Bob Barker was famous for the skinny mic. The I don't know if there, is there a name for that thing? Uh, the one that, well, Vinny bought one. Right. When we were at Whiskey, remember? Yes, I remember. Everyone was very excited that we got the prices Right mic. It was, it was. Ryan, it, Ryan in particular, I, I seem to remember was, I mean, there was, but there was also, like, 
after we got back to CBS, there was always talk of going and shooting something on the Price is Right set. I think there was a lot of Price is Right fandom in that group. I mean, I love Price is Right. I, yeah. I don't I don't I don't know what it is like. OK, the Price is Right thing. There's so many good stories about the Price is Right. Like there's the guy that that made the spreadsheet of all the prices and realized that they just used the same prices over and over again. If he memorized a few thousand things, then he could exactly hit the price every time. Wait, hang on. There was a card counter, but for the Price is Right. Oh, did you not? Have you never heard this story? No, I don't think oh, so. Oh, it's incredible. They did a documentary about him. Wow. He he um he like tracked the prices on things for years and went to sit on the show every day. And one day he, you know, they, they, they knew him and one day they put him on. Right. And he hit the show. He hit the, the first round where you have to guess to get on the contest. Exactly. Right. I want to say he missed the second round, but he rolled well in the, in the, on the spin spin the big wheel bit. So he went to the showcase and he hit the showcase exactly on the dollar. No way. Yeah. But did you get something special for doing that? I forget. Yeah, you get both showcases if you're within a hundred bucks. Wow. And they thought he cheated. Uh-huh. They thought he was cheating. They thought he had like somebody on the inside or something like that. So they never aired the episode. It was right after Drew Carey took over. And and like when they talked to Drew Carey about it, Drew Carey was like, look, I I took over this thing that had been running for 60 years or 50 years or something. And I was afraid that two months in I had killed it. Right. <laughs> Um, it's a, it's fabulous. I'll dig it up. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Hang on. Do you kill the show by running an episode with someone who you, who you think cheated or do you kill it by not honoring your obligation to a guy who won? You kill the show by allowing cheaters to prosper. But is that cheating? No, it's not. That's the thing. That doesn't sound like cheating to me. They, they messed up, but it's, it's the thing that they've been doing for years and nobody had, nobody had like internetized it and, right. you know, done right. the, see, I wrapped it back around. So it's a technology thing. Wait, there. so do they, did they ever make good on the prices? I assume he got the prizes. I don't think they ever aired the episode. Man, that's, I bet, I bet for somebody being that big a fan of that show, I bet that's the real tragedy. He used to, he's one of those people who used to go on the show every day and he would sit in the audience and yell prices to people and was always right. Like just always consistently right. Prices, right. Documentary, perfect bid, the contestant who knew too much. Yeah. And, and when I think about it, it may be one layer deeper because it may be the person who made the pers- perfect bid was sitting in the was was not the person who had done the homework because they knew not to put him on. It may have been that he was sitting next to the guy's wife and they were yelling that he was yelling the number to them, to the person who made the perfect bid. And then the guy who made the perfect bid, I think, didn't want to acknowledge that he had taken the bid from somebody in the audience. It's 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 a it's a it's a real web. Brad. It's on it's on Netflix. It turns out perfect. Yeah. bid. highly recommended. I watched it like five years ago. It's it's, it's really good or before the pandemic. Maybe I can't remember which. Yeah, you should. You would like it, I believe. If you are, a, I can't believe you didn't ever do anything on prices right on the prices right set. Uh, I mean, that was like a boy. Wouldn't that be cool if oh, kind of thing? Okay. And then it's like, oh, that would have to go through eight layers of people who don't give a shit about us if they even know we exist. I was going to say I would have murdered everyone up to and including Drew Carey to do that. So it's like shooting inside the Big Brother house. I don't think I don't really like. I like Big Brother. It's entertaining. The contests are good. I I would love to get to walk around inside that house and see what a fucking disaster it is. After those people live in there for 90 ugh, days, ugh, no, thank it's got to be real dooted. No, thank you. I think I, if I remember, I think the talk was of like, oh, how great would it be to do game of the year segments on the prices right set? That would be amazing. Like how that's pretty tailor made for that. Anyway, do you think they'd let you put like stuff on the wheel? That's the like, thing. Change like, the letters. How operational is the equipment when nobody's there? Right. Could you could you could you do the 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 yodeler? Could you do? Could you play Plinko? I don't know. Where does all that stuff live? There's a warehouse. Yeah, I guess so. It's got to be a warehouse. All those machines must be pretty mobile on wheels, casters. Or something. They're all on uh, lifty dollies, I bet. Ah, like the ones yes. that had the foot, you know, the f- foot lifted doll. Anyway, lifty dollies, uh, lifty dollies, technical it's my, term. It's my favorite 50s musical. Brad, uh-huh. I have cues. Oh, well, I guess you have cues. Technically, I, I, I have a bunch of cues. I believe you have Q. I have Q. We're going to turn them into A's, though, today. That's what we do here at the last episode of the month. That's true. You have one cue from the email inbox. I do. Uh, you mean techpod at content.town? I do mean that one. Yeah. Uh, if you, I, I'm sorry. I do mean techpod at content.town. Thank you. You got to say it three times because people won't remember techpod at content.town if you don't do that. Uh, if you have questions that you would like to be, be turned into answers, you can email them to techpod at content.town. Or if you are a member of the fabulous TechPod patron, which supports this listener supported podcast, you can go into the question seeking answers channel and post it there. And then once a month, we pull out the best questions or at least the ones that strike our fancy. You know, it's not really a value judgment. It's more like, hey, do I want to answer this or not? And we answer the questions. Probably not about orange pants, though. So probably, sorry, probably Warbird. Yeah. 
Uh, do you want to read this one? Or you want me to read it? Uh, you go for it. I believe this blog article about the power of Janet Jackson may be of some interest. Yes. Chintor. Yes. So you didn't and see this going around last week. No, I was pretty busy last week. That's fair. This, yeah, this, it was it kind of is one of those things that just sort of blew up on tech Twitter for an afternoon. Yeah. And I'd like if you if you're logged out for the three hours and something like this is going around, then uh, it, it's you never see it, basically. Right. So this is a uh, it's a, a a blog post on like devblogs.microsoft.com, which mm-hmm. I gather is just where some Microsoft developers blog. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar uh, with the name Raymond Chen? Yeah, Ray, Raymond, he's he's a person who's been uh, working on Windows stuff for a really long time. Okay, he okay. wrote books and stuff. He's a Channel 9 guy, too, I believe. It's Channel 9. It's MSDNs, the Microsoft Developer Networks, like internal content cha- TV stuff. Okay, okay. Yeah, when this was making the rounds, a bunch of people were like, oh, Raymond Chen, like like he was a, a known figure and I hadn't heard of him before. Uh-huh. Uh, I had a very short version. This is about, God, when is this from? Uh, it's, roughly, like, it's like 98 uh, early 2000s roughly Windows XP era is what yeah. he says he doesn't put a date on this what was this in their hardware testing lab compatibility lab or something yeah this, this is a normal this is part of the normal Janet Jackson uh, benchmark yes, test. yes, the, yes the, the Rhythm Nation test suite yeah uh, yeah they found that playing the music video for, for Rhythm Nation on these laptops would straight up crash them and maybe destroy the hard drive and then they found that it was also happening to competitors' laptops. And it happened like to machines that weren't connected to each other, but were adjacent to each other. Then they finally found it was happening to like other laptops surrounding the laptop playing the video. Yeah. It turns out that the song contained one of the natural resonant frequencies for the model of 5400 RPM laptop hard drives uh, that these laptops and other manufacturers used. So like the natural resonant frequency, this is like the idea that this is why you can't ride horses across the Golden Gate Bridge is because the frequency of when their feet hit is is will will make the bridge vibrate and then wobble like the Tacoma Narrows Bridge did in 1940. Are you making this up? No, this is a true thing. Is that really? You, you're not allowed to ride horses a lot across a lot of bridges. Wow. Yeah. Huh. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't think Sorry, about the magnitude. Like I could, I could see, I could see the frequencies lining up, but I wouldn't think that it would be like strong enough to actually. Well, see, the thing is each, each impact multiplies. Oh, sure. So yes. you hit, you hit at the right point of the wave. It's like, it's like when you're on a trampoline, you yeah, know, you're on sure. a trampoline, two people are on the trampoline, right? One person goes up yeah, yeah. right when they, right when, when they hit the next person hits and you, and the person gets yeeted up even higher. So indeed, indeed. the horses do that, but with bridges and, and then tragedy. Okay. So if I ever want to grind San Francisco to a halt. Yeah, just ride, just get a stampede of horses across the bridge. It's also, this is also why when soldiers are marching and they cross a bridge, they don't march in unison anymore. Oh. They, 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 they vary their foot rhythm. Interesting. Yeah. They're like Fremen. I'm sorry. They're like what? Fremen, you know, from Dune. They, they don't walk with a pattern because the sandworms will eat them. Mm, it's the same thing, except for, you know, less resonant frequencies there and more high, horrible giant monsters. I've never experienced Dune in any form. Well, I know what our next movie is. <laughs> Is that tech enough? Yeah. Is it? I'm going to say yes. Huh. Interesting. Look, the new one's good. I like it a lot, but we're watching the David Lynch one first because you can't appreciate the new one without having the madness of 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 horny sting as as uh, as the young Harkonnen. Man, poor War Games just got its place in line jumped. Sorry, War Games. So so this blog goes on to say the manufacturer worked around this problem by adding a custom filter in the audio pipeline that detected and removed the offending frequencies during audio playback. You think, is he talking about a hardware filter? My guess is a software filter. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He said a digital version of a do not remove sticker on that audio filter. So it must be software. Yeah. It's a commented in code. Yeah. But then that wouldn't survive like an OS swap. Like what if you put Linux on that? Well, it's probably just downhill, right? Oh yeah, it's probably not in Linux, but it's probably like all subsequent versions of Windows. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But just I mean, filter that's, out. That's why I mean, if you put something other than Windows on here, do you, I wonder? I wonder. I wonder if I play Rhythm Nation on my computer now, if it's still filtering. Like, I wonder if I'm not hearing Rhythm Nation all these years later as Janet Jackson intended it to be heard because of this audio filter. <laughs> we we as, a, as a nation have been robbed. It's less of a Rhythm Nation than it was before. That's that's man. You're telling me. <laughs> Thanks, Win- Windows XP. Uh, this is a funny story. I. Like that would have been perplexing. The, the computers crashing computers adjacent to, but not connected to. That's a good one. But that was a fun one to uh, diagnose. Yeah. I wonder how many hard drives they killed figuring that out. That's my question. Too many. It was a lot. Too many have fallen. Yeah. 
okay. I, actually, he didn't say they did. He say he killed them or it was just crashing them like it maybe just temporarily disrupted them. I assume when you're talking about resonant failures on hard drives and that means splatters started wobbling mm. and whacking into things. Sure. Sure. The the literal definition of a crash. Fair. Okay, let's move on to Discord questions. Here is one from Quasar. Why don't either of you have a Wikipedia page? I do not fit the. I do not attain the noteworthiness guidelines, and or no one has ever made one for me, and or I am not going to make my own Wikipedia page because that is sad. Yes, the the latter two of those were my answer. I didn't realize. Do they actually have like stringent guidelines for who oh, yeah. can have a page? I didn't. I didn't. I thought it was fairly loose. I thought. I thought it was much more down to. Did somebody care enough to go make one and not not as much like, oh, you have to meet some bar. There's a bar. Is there really? Yeah. Um, hold on. Uh, notoriety. You have to be a certain level of notoriety to warrant a Wikipedia page. Oh, yeah. Notability. Notability. That's it. Notability is a test used by editors to decide whether a given topic warrants its own article. I hmm. know this because I um, for a while in the olden times. I used to like to go to people who didn't have the right notability for a Wikipedia page and put the tag that this does not meet the notability <laughs> guidelines on their pages. Oh man, that's ruthless. Not friends. Mm-hmm. Just to be clear. I mean, you, I'm sure you have seen the individual person Wikipedia pages that are very clearly contributed to by said person. Almost all of them like, that are not like actual celebrities or famous people. The ones, yes. the ones that are extremely glowing about the person's achievements. Yes. The one that looks like they just copied and pasted their CV. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to go through this. Um, I've got the general notability guidelines in front of me, but. Yep. I was on the maximum PC page for a long time and I, there used to be a tested page. I don't know if there still okay. is. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, my, I think my name is mentioned on a couple of pages. More yeah. general. Um. I feel like I did probably don't need a Wikipedia page. I don't know oh. that I've done enough that's a, of worth to warrant one at this point. I think I would re- much prefer not having one, actually. Yeah. Plus, and, there are other Will Smiths. And me. like you said, going and making your own page is pathetic. Sad. Yes. A uh, question from Fortune. Uh, most of the you can make a podcast at home things I have seen concentrate almost entirely on microphones and other hardware. Is it possible to spend some time going over the other side of things? Editing software, distribution, tracking, listener stats, ad reads, et cetera. That could be a whole episode going over um, yeah. all of that stuff. But we could we could summarize quickly some stuff. Yeah. Um, any there's a bazillion audio editors at this point. You can do it in Audacity easily. Um, we use Audacity and Audition and are kind of trying to tra- I'm working on transitioning to Reaper, but getting the filtering set up right is a little bit tra- challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, distribution is easy. Like yeah. there are. In the old days, you had to set up a WordPress blog and then find some place to host the file in like archive.org. And then you generate, put a plugin and then generate an RSS feed. It was a big pain in the ass. You don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, now you pay turnkey uh, solutions. Yeah, you pay Libsyn five bucks a month or Simplecast 15 bucks a month or any number of other podcast hosts. Um, uh, for like they're inexpensive starter plans. And basically, the thing that varies between them is how they charge. If they charge for overage in terms of number numbers of episodes downloaded or numbers of episodes uploaded in some cases, mm-hmm. um, some people charge more for hosting for more listeners. Some people charge more for hosting uh, IAB, which is the International Advertisers Bureau. I Bureau, believe. I think, Internet Advertising Bureau. Yeah, for IAB compliant. Uh, metrics, which means that you can put advertising on your podcast. Yeah. Some of the back ends that you'll see on podcast hosts literally let you toggle between like stats by blank metric and I, IAB stats. Like there, there's yeah. these specific guidelines for the IAB ones where, and that just happened in the last, gosh, five, five, years, five years for most of them. Five-ish. Yeah. Like, like this kind of podcast host didn't exist before like 2015. Yeah. Really? Like the entirety of the podcast, like hosting and advertising business was a gigantic, like, you know, fly by night mess up until about that time. Yeah. The amount of money we spent hosting the podcast at Whiskey Media ourselves was pretty stupendous. Right. Um, because there wasn't like we couldn't just pay somebody 15 bucks a month per podcast to do it. Yeah. The, the, um, the other big thing that's happened with advertising is that ads have become entirely decoupled from the shows they run on now. Oh, right. It's all it's all handled dynamically. So like you're doing ad reads separately and uploading them into a tool and then like campaigns are getting sold on the back end and those just get inserted into 
into shows at time of download based on what campaigns are active at the moment. And where you live and what your yes, demographics and, are and all that stuff. And then, and then, yeah, there's all kinds of data harvesting that they use to further kind of winnow down which ads you're hearing. Um, and I mean, the, the dynamic ads are nice from a content creator perspective because it takes a lot of the overhead of managing ads out of your out of your pipeline. Yes. It also it allows you to monetize your back catalog. So, yes. So it's funny, like per episode downloads aren't really a big deal now in terms of advertisers. It's just how many downloads are you doing a week across your whole yeah. library of shows. So like if you've got three years of podcasts huh? before, like when we baked ads into the actual recording before. Once the camp, like, like, say for a six month old podcast where that campaign ended five months ago, people go and download that episode today. It's worthless. Like you make nothing on it. Yeah. But well, I mean, the content probably is still good. But now since they can put active current ads into old episodes, then any podcast at all that gets downloaded is, is valuable. Yeah. So um, if I were starting a new podcast, I would probably chuck it on Libsyn. It's really easy to move podcasts between a host. It is. I mean, we did that exact thing. Yeah. I, I can't. I, I don't love Libsyn's back end. It's, it's not pretty, great. It's pretty dated. It's, I mean, it, it, it is, it is, it, you're getting your $5 a month worth. It is very inexpensive. Yeah. And, and if you are just doing something for fun, it doesn't make sense to pay for somebody that's going to give you IAB yeah. metrics and all that stuff. Yeah. It's a good place to start for sure. Um, the, the other thing we haven't talked about is the post stuff. So once you, once you've edited the audio file and you have a big wave, um, you have to add MP3 tags and also do levelator stuff, which is, I think we still use, you still use levelator, right? Yes, I still, yeah. I still chuck the export into levelator. Still yeah. old, old habits die hard, but also yeah. that thing works. It doesn't hurt anything. Levelator does audio compression where it kind of brings all the levels up to yeah. the same, same LUTs. I guess and, it does uh, a bunch of stuff. It's kind of like a, there's a secret sauce in there that they've never said exactly all of the processing that it's doing. No one's exactly replicated it. Uh, level, uh, Reaper has a similar function that I, it's a little more complicated that I haven't quite figured out yet. Yeah. There, but, there are also like plugins you'll see around like VSTs and stuff that claim to be like, Hey, was, this is levelator, but a plugin, like people have tried to recreate it for a long time. Also worth mentioning the ultra shawl people who we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, released English language documentation the other day. So I saw that they tweeted at us and we're they, pretty excited. Yeah. yeah that was cool. So yeah. I got to go check that out and see if, see if my translated documentation is, was, is less, if the new actual translated documentation is better than the machine tra translated documentation was, which was fine, but not perfect. Anyway. Yeah. It's, it's never been a better time to start a podcast. Yeah. Anybody can do it. I keep, I keep feeling like, God, who was it that ran, was it the New York times that ran that story? Like it's been years now of along the lines of, have we reached peak podcast? Oh, and yet it seems to keep going. Oh, keep those waiting. sweet summer children it's waiting for the bottom to fall out. That's yeah, fine. Um, so do you want to talk about this squeaky stuff? Yeah, we can this do stuff? that. Okay. I've killed a couple of chairs because you, of that. Oh, wow. You highlighted this one. So, okay. Question from meatball in the same vein. You guys do uh, both do a ton of podcasts and streams. How do you deal with squeaking chairs, keyboard and mouse clicks and desk bumps? Do you try to get gear that's quiet? And if so, what do you get? Or do you just figure you can clean it all up in post-production? Never clean anything in post-production. <laughs> Look, I've been wasting a bunch of my Saturdays then. Oh, really? Eh, no, not, not as much as I used to. I, st I thought about getting into that on that last question of... Actually, there's another question in here. I don't know if we'll take that one too. Should we just do the whole podcast block? We can do a podcast block. Okay, let's let's do this one and then we'll do the other one I was okay. referring to. Um yeah, try to try not to have to clean anything in post-production. Like the goal is to make everything clean enough that you don't have to do post-production. Absolutely. Because right? it takes a really long time. But, I mean, this probably is intuitive, but the problem with editing, cleaning up audio is you can't see anything visually. You can't look at a waveform and go like, oh, that looks like a squeak or somebody bumping their microphone. You know what I mean? Like fixing audio, even just plain editing audio is so tedious because you just have to don't do that. God damn it. I don't I'm not, I'm not cleaning that up. No, no, leave it. I was, I was, just, that <laughs> I was my point is it's just annoying. I know. I know I'm joking, but, um, but yeah, like you can't, you can't just do a quick survey, visual survey of the waveform and pull stuff out. Like you have to meticulously go through and listen to and re-listen to, and it takes forever. So I bought a mechanical keyboard with really quiet keys. Mm -hmm. Well, I bought a mechanical keyboard and then put really quiet switches in it. Um, I buy the right kind of keycaps so they're quiet. I put the the keyboard on a piece of neoprene underneath so that the desk oh. doesn't work as a resonator and oh. make it even louder. I just, man, 
I just talked about this on the next Linger podcast. I've got a roll of neoprene that I bought and didn't that didn't work for the thing I bought it for. So now it's just sitting there. Maybe oh, there should, you go. Maybe I should put it, it to use. Yeah. Um, I disassembled a mouse and put a quieter, quieter switches in it. But which would quite we talked about that on the tech pod, but one of the partly it was because one of the switches broken, but partly it was because I wanted quieter switches. Um, uh, you don't drink things with ice in them. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't make any weird mouth sounds if you can help it. Yep. You You try to cut down, dampen your acoustics, try to cut down on audio bouncing off of walls and stuff if you can. Yeah, that's the next thing I need to do is put foam up on the wall that I face now because I had it on the on the old wall and I don't anymore. And yep. it's yeah. Also, these uh, these mics that we got are very directional, I guess is the term. Yeah. Like they don't they don't pick up off axis audio nearly as much as cheaper mics would. Yeah. Which um, helps as well. But but yeah, the um, desk bumps. So squeaky chairs. I've had to replace chairs because they squeaked. Yes. Like that is, that is by my old Herman Miller reaction chairs that I had before the chair I sit in now, uh, eventually they all develop a, a little bit of a wobble squeak after a long time. And there was no amount of lubing it that was able to fix the problem. So wait that, for that, for that amount of money, they still developed. Well, it was like 12 years old at that unacceptable. point. Um, yeah, you know, I called them and they offered to replace it with a refurb under warranty, but mm. they couldn't guarantee that the refurb wouldn't squeak. Hmm. Because like they, in their eyes, a slightly squeaking, the, the amount of squeak was very negligible, but it still came through. That's fair. I actually just realized something that I, I didn't even think to mention it because I, it's just, I take it for granted, but like a, a mic, like a mic arm, a, a boom arm or. Oh yeah. Don't put your microphone on your desk is, is the point. Like yeah, something, mic, yeah. Something that elevates the mic off the surface. I technically use a. Uh, microphone arm that is bolted to this desk but it's like four feet away well but but also it's shock absorbed so the so the the motion of the desk is isolated from the motion of the microphone there, there is some shock absorption in this arm as well but like if you really want to play it safe you get a floor stand like or get, mount get, it on the wall yes get attach the mic to something that is not your desk if you really want to play it safe yeah. there but like but like your the tripod stand that most microphones come with is basically a resume turns your desk into a resonating cavity for the microphone yeah um this is also why you put shock mounts uh the other thing is a pop filter so a pop filter helps you keep from making plosive sounds into your microphone see you use one i, I use the one that's integrated in my mic mm-hmm. It's probably fine. I, I use it. I only use this external one because it looks cool. Yeah. See, that's why I use the spider mount for the, my mic because it looks cool. Fair. Fair. Because we all know the aesthetics are the most important thing. About it's shiny. We've established it's this. It's true. It's true. Mine's beige. I like the beige too. Uh, all At right. Least you can get black. Only bad people get black. Yep. I, I won't tell Alex you said that. He's it. Look, he, I, I have a lot of respect for Alex for a lot of reasons, but not that. He, he got a black RE20. Okay. Last podcast question from Wedge. For every hour of TechPod, how many hours of behind-the-scenes work does it take? How much time does it take to record an hour of podcast? About an hour. On the <laughs> oh, no way, man. Are you serious? Have you? Have <laughs> no, you I'm joking. At- I'm joking. Oh, okay. Was, yeah. So, like, on the prep end, that totally depends on the type of episode. Yeah. Q&As are usually, like, an hour, uh, probably two, two hours, an hour each for us to read the questions yeah. and filter through the ones we want. Yeah. Um, and then another hour of work on both ends for me. Uh, and I, and then you spend sometimes more or less depending on how the, how the audio quality is, how much you clean up. I think I'll just go in sequence here. So I'll get to that. Cause it's the last step at the end. But, um, I would say like the topic episodes are probably the most prep intensive. Would you say? Yeah. Like that matter thread one I read, I, I did probably six hours of reading, yeah. eight hours of reading over the like, course of the week. Those take a ton of research and like we, we write out detailed notes and everything. Yeah, like like our our notes our notes pages typically run from at least two pages and sometimes up to six or eight, depending on how much like it really depends on how much how familiar we are with the topic and whether we're just putting making notes to remind us not to forget things or whether we're putting notes there so that it has the actual information that we want for the podcast. Yeah, um, but they're usually pretty extensive. I yeah. I I've always feel I feel like. Like the notes are an unfortunate thing. Cause if we had more time to spend on the show, I would clean them up and post them because they're kind of useful. Mm-hmm. But as is like, it's already taking a lot of time. So I don't want to take another two hours to clean up the notes. So they're postable right. anyway. Plus all those obscenities that you write in there randomly. Yeah. And the ethnic slurs. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> I don't put ethnic slurs in the notes. Goodness gracious. Uh, the recording, hot. the recording surprisingly 
okay, like on, on a morning like this where we've got other stuff, we've got actual work after this to do. Yeah. We can get in and out in, say, 90 minutes for a, a, an episode that runs like 45 to an hour. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, when we record on Saturdays, it easily will take like three hours total to record. A, like, I don't know yeah. how that happens. Like, well, sometimes like, we sat, we chat, chit chat. I mean, we're, some, I mean some, some of it, yeah, some of it is lack of discipline. Like, we get on the call and chat about other stuff. A lot of it is like talking through the episode and, and planning out the, the flow and the structure. Stuff like that. Yeah. For the more complicated topics, especially, especially it's useful to like talk through the structure. Yeah. Actually, um, this is like kind of a slight digression, but like on, on the subject of discipline in terms of just like showing up, recording and leaving. Mm-hmm. Like when we're working remotely, it turns out that like getting on video calls to either record stuff or have a meeting is literally the only time you interact with your coworkers. Yeah. So I mean, like, we have that at my, at my full-time job too. Right, my, right. my day job too. Exactly. Like, like I, basically I, I think we tend to just like gab a little more when we should be recording just because like there is no water cooler anymore. You know what I mean? Well, like, we, yeah, we like institutionalized a, a period, a short period at the start of meeting of like our daily standup meeting where we kind of just talk about whatever we want to talk about while people probably, are filing in, which is nice. That's smart probably. Yeah. Because yeah, like, just lacking that like basic kind of passive social interaction that you get of just being around people all day. It's, it's nice to maintain a human connection with your yeah. coworkers. Yes. Uh, anyway, you take the audio when we're done and sync it up against the, our highly sophisticated patented yeah. sync, sync technology. Thank you. Thrust heart. Um, yes. we, we, um, uh, I, I sync that up in audition. Uh, and I use audition just because when we started doing the podcast, audacity didn't, preview the like the the audio waves that you see don't line up necessarily with the audio in the old days of audacity they do now i believe um so like i line up the spikes basically from the from the beeps and um and then yes uh i export stems i well i do some filtering so i bring i i level everybody out um i do noise gates on you i do that in hardware on me so i don't need to do that and and do some dynamics passes and stuff like that because audition has it turns out adobe has a lot of smart engineers doing audio processing stuff yeah and uh then i jam that out and uh as a bunch of wave files and send it over to you and you yeah. put the music in because you are very good at putting the music so that the beats hit at the right time because i don't have an ear for that yeah yeah there's a lot more there than just putting music in i mean i oh, of course so you send, you, you give me two waves, one of you, one of me mm-hmm. and, and a guest sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So got to like trim up all the ins and outs and, and line up music and stuff like that. But like the real, the real time sync there is how much time am I going to spend going through like cleaning up talkovers and long pauses and ums and stuff like that. Like I've, I've easily spent three hours doing nothing but going through and I don't do that as much anymore. Oh, you like it's that is a an inf- infinite hole. Yes, that's exactly the problem is that you could spend you could spend six hours per episode making it sound absolutely perfect. Yeah. And then and then completely lose your mind in the process. Well, so th- then the process with the tech pod and the FOSS pod are a little bit different. Like the FOSS pod, we have more help. So um, Matt, our yeah, Matt, our producer and Sabrina, our editor do like Sabrina goes through and does all the ums and the ahs and rearranges things. And um, Matt does um, kind of the initial research pass. So then we can dig in like he, he'll, he'll go and find all the good interviews that people have done and it hi- pulls out highlights from some of the interviews and listens to the podcast and does all that stuff. And, and then uh, a gives us places that we can go if we want to know more. And kind of gives us a, a basic skeleton for the questions we want to answer, the conversation we want to have. And then uh, with that show, we do the interview. <laughs> then we listen to the interview and um, uh, kind of rearrange stuff if it needs to, because often we'll kind of meander during those conversations. Um, and Sabrina does the does a couple edits along there to get it first to, to a structure that we want and then to a, a runtime that we want. Yeah. Uh, and then once that's all done, we record the intro and the outro and any interstitial segments that we need to explain like concepts that we don't explain well during the interview. And, uh, that's, that's pretty, then it gets published like anything else. Yeah. And I do all that stuff like the writing, yeah, decks, the tagging and all name, that tagging, ta- encoding and tagging, naming episode, naming, writing decks, getting show art together. Yeah. Doing all the CMS backend stuff. Like I, once you hand files off to me for the tech pod, like. I would say like absolute minimum an hour to 90 minutes to get it yeah. 
totally listenable and put into the system and all that stuff written and everything like more like two to three hours. If I actually go through and like I, the, the weeks that I don't do that, I feel terrible about it. Feel irresponsible. We should get Sabrina to just do that too. I, I could just slap, <laughs> slap these source files in, put the music on and spit it out in 20, 30 minutes. But I just can't, I can't resist at least scrubbing through. We have latency. That's the biggest problem is that yeah. being, being remote, and I hear it all the time and it makes me feel really self-conscious because like, like one thing you may notice is we'll do a lot of things where we begin the, we begin a sentence and say the same couple words like three times in a row. Yeah. I usually go through and do a pass taking those out yeah. too, just so you know. So those, those, <laughs> those, those aren't just us stumbling over our words. Like that's actually like in the video call, there's latency and it actually means like, oh, you started saying something at the same time I did. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we cut one out, but not the other maybe or, or whatever. Like you second guess yourself when you hear somebody else start talking when you're trying to talk. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you just end up kind of stumbling over stuff. There, there's a lot of stuff in there that is that is an artifact of, of recording remotely, not just not being able to talk well. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and leaving that stuff in makes me feel awful. But well, and some, but sometimes it's harder to like sometimes you end up with something that sounds more unnatural by cutting around it is, is what I end up with. I, I usually go through and scan the waveforms for places that we're talking over each other and cut the cut the obvious ones out. That's that's what I've started doing is just scrolling through also and just anywhere that you see audio overlap is a good cue. Yeah. So so take a listen and see if you can clean some stuff up because like you could easily I could easily spend my whole Saturday afternoon doing that if I didn't resist the urge. I was going to say then the last thing is um, all the posting and stuff. So we post stuff uh, like some of the posting happens automatically, but letting people know about patron episodes and and all that stuff happens manually. And we tweet to stir up interest and generate excerpts and all that stuff. So it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's something people have never understood about this line of work is that there is way, way more work to make it happen than what you see. Yeah. It's not just sitting. Well, I mean, sometimes it's sitting down for the microphone, like the, the, sometimes you sit down for the microphone phone and talk about something for an hour, but that's because you have knowledge that is predates the podcast and right. And yeah. probably also other people doing the heavy lifting yeah. of, of getting it ready to post. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. That's enough about podcasting. Yeah, that's a lot of podcasts. The, the podcast block is over. You want to talk about uh, Git? This is an easy one. I saw that one. I don't know. I use Git all much, the time. How much I have to say about it. Also, there may be a lot of cake batter questions in here if we just go all willy nilly here. Oh, okay. Never mind. Oh, it's too late. Oh, how often do you as non-programmers use Git? Would you want this interaction to be more or less frequent? Says cake batter. Hmm, I, I used I, Git two days ago, I think was the last time. I, I, I store my notes, my, my personal, like, like I write notes in flat text files and really get them in a folder to, uh, uh, pages, uh, info, yeah, get info. No. What's the, what's the, what's their, what's their document thing? They who get GitHub. GitHub. I put them on GitHub in a private repo where they're all uh, stored and searchable and online and I can track changes and search them on the web. And it's very good. It's like my own version of simple, simple writer, simple, simple, simple page, note. simple note. Yeah. Um, I also use uh, Git to host our press kit install for straight Bombay. Oh. So Git pages is what I use. Sorry. It took me a minute. Yeah. 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 I wanted to clarify which service you were talking about because there are certainly, you know, GitLab is big now, like source hut. There are a lot yeah. of other GitHub competitors out there now. So um, I, I really like this. Uh, I do not like using Git. I would like to do the same thing with some other service that is not Git because I, mean, I think that's how sucks. GitHub came about, right? Yeah. Git is like very powerful and not very friendly. Yeah, that is exactly right. Um, I've been meaning to uh, store my dot files remotely. Oh, well, that's like, a good idea. I've got like looking around the house here between physical Unixy boxes and containers, kind mm-hmm. of virtual Unixy boxes inside of those. There's probably, God, I don't know, 12, 15 Linux and BSD machines around this house. Wow. And it would really be nice if I could just like store one dot bash RC, for example, and just have it pull that down everywhere. Yeah. But I haven't actually gotten around to figuring that stuff out yet. I, I like, I want to save my OBS configurations like that. Cause Git could do that. Cause it could hold all the assets and everything. But anyway, I actually just had to nuke my OBS install this week. Oh God. Finally that I've been using since before the pandemic started. It had gotten like just I have hives like what you mean having to redo everything. Yeah. Like 
sometimes I feel like the idea of cruft and software is overblown, but in this case, it was 100% accurate. Like it had become essentially unusable, like incredibly unstable. It would not exit. It would never exit. Like this is just a random example, but like every time I quit it, it would hang and I would have to force quit it. How, how many scenes? Do you um, have a bunch of scenes and stuff? There were quite a few scenes. Also, some of the assets that some of those scenes were pointing at lived on my NAS that has been unhooked for two months. Oh, you months. can't ever put OBS assets toward a NAS. That's where you're, that's a hundred percent your problem. Oh no, it works fine when, but, but when the assets are not there, I don't know if, I don't know if OBS, like it, you know, it throws a warning when you launch it, like, Hey, these images are not there anymore, but I don't know if that causes problems down the line. It depends on what the assets are. So, um, cause I used to do this, I used to save a, a video assets in like a VLC playlist module will hang OBS without an error. Cause it's a, it's a plugin. The VLC playlist thing is a plugin or something and not a core part of the, the OBS. So it'll just stall while it's waiting for that plugin to load, which is okay. what the problem I had when I ran stuff off my NAS. All the problems, the, the real problem started when I tried to install stream effects a few months ago, which is weird because a ton of people use stream effects and seems to be fine for them. What's stream effects? It's, it's a pretty popular suite of OBS stuff. It gives you like real time blur and like, like transparency and stuff. You can, oh, man. like you can do like more advanced overlays. I can't believe there's no transparency built into OBS. So does that mean you can do, well, there is, but you have to use alpha channels or green or key stuff out. I mean right? like real time on the GPU, not like having to oh. make like a, make a, a mask manually. Yeah. Or something like that. Can you, um, does that mean you can do like vertical video with the blur, blur vertical video in the background thing? I think, I think that's exactly what I installed it for and wanted Man, that's to fantastic. do. That is, that is in fact exactly what I installed it for and wanted to do, but like it just never worked for me. It also might be the computer is too slow. What I, what I mean is it never showed up. Like I installed the plugin and it, the menu, the stream oh. effects menu literally did not appear in the interface. I saw another good OBS plugin the other day. It lets you do smooth move transitions between scenes. Hmm. So you set up two scenes with the more or less the same stuff and you change the size of one element inside it and then you transition between the two and it just dynamically moves the small thing to the big thing, oh. and the big thing to the small thing. It's that's very happy good. making. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, OBS 28 seems pretty good. Are you on the beta? No, I'm not using oh. it, but I, I check yeah, out I, all of the new stuff that is coming to it and it's some, it's some good stuff. I am excited about it. I I'm, I'm ready. They're finally adding native application level audio capture. Like there, oh, really? there, there's a good plugin for that out there that just works generally. I haven't had a huge issue with it, but they're finally building it into the application itself. You can just say, Hey, capture only the audio from this game or this browser window. That's cool. Yeah. It's good stuff. I'm hopeful that you'll have the ability to export your setup. I think Jim talked about that, right? Yeah, he on, talked on about Spotify. it. He said it's in the pipeline, but he didn't, he didn't give a timeline for it. I didn't, I did not see that on the feature list for 28. Boo. Sadly. How about a question from Narfinger? Do you think we should replace version numbers of software with the Ubuntu scheme of year.month or the git hash of the commit? Okay. I like year.month. The git, the git hash. Absolutely not. That's for, yeah, that's for maniacs. That's no, no way. Um, what he's talking about is, so I, I think I like the Ubuntu scheme, but it, I think it only really makes sense for stuff that comes out on a regular cadence, like a, a, a predictable one. Yeah, because it's always like 0804, 0810, so, so, 0810. So, yeah, so right. Ubuntu, Ubuntu ships two annual versions, one in April and one in October. So it's very easy to say like, oh, 20.04. That's the one that came out in April 2020. Yeah, and what is it? Every third one is a... Um, every every second, every other year is an LTS. Is an LTS, okay. So every, 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 every even numbered April is an LTS release. So 22.04 that just came out is LTS. LTS means long-term support, which means yes. they'll support it for 18 months or three years or something. Uh, I, I can't Ubuntu, remember. I think Ubuntu LTS is pretty long. It's I Debian LTS. It's really long, um, I think. Yeah, Debian is funny and weird about that stuff because they just use terms. There's so, Oh, right. Because so, it's like Busy Badger or whatever. No, no, no. Well, those are the names. Those are... No, um, no the, the adjective animal thing is an Ubuntu thing. So it's like, mm. yeah, buzz, buzzy, buzzy buzzard. I, I, I don't know. Debian yeah. names after Toy Story story characters. So they're currently on Bullseye. The next one is Bookworm. That's, wow. that's why that's why you had Debian Jesse for a while. What was what did Debian and, used and, to be? And Debian Stretch. They've been doing the Toy Story thing practically from the beginning. They also really? use numbers. Like like ten was Buster. Debian ten was Buster. Debian eleven is Bullseye. Twelve will be Bookworm. Huh. I just I just use the numbers. Anyway, the thing I was going to say though on their support stuff is they just use terms like the current release is stable. The next one is testing. The one after that that is super alpha is SID. 
And then when you go in the other direction, like stable becomes old stable. Mm-hmm. So the previous release is old stable. Two releases ago is old, old stable. I love old stable. Oh, I, I, I like to stick on old, old stable. It's look, it's as stable as it gets. I believe that's right. Yes, that's correct. Old, old stable. All right. Is, so <laughs> it's really I, good. Linux I, is a yeah. thing. Um, I like the numbers. I like the, I like the year month. I, I, I like the data things. So Microsoft also does it for windows semi-annual updates. You may have yeah. noticed like 221 21, like, like 20, like generally it'll be like 22 H one now for half mm-hmm. for the first half. So like 22 H one just came out a few months ago. Yep. Uh, again though, I, I feel like that only really makes sense when everything is on a predictable schedule like that, because otherwise like there's no frame of reference for how old or how many versions there have been since something. If you don't know that they came, kept coming out, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, you know, if 1904 was your last re- is, is a release that I'm looking at, like, I don't know that there have been more since then, unless I know that they're coming out every six months. God, that would be like 118 years old. If it was 1904, the, <laughs> the, uh, I, 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 so I have to say, I set up some Docker containers this weekend and the way you can pull different, Docker containers from the repo on my NAS. Like you can, you can subscribe to basically a channel of container and you can get latest or like I was installing Plex in a Docker container and you can get the Plex pass version. And it just, you know, when you update the Docker container, it just, it just does its thing and replaces what you have with the new one. And theoretically it should just work. It's, it's a, it's a, it's I'm, I'm kind of, I'm starting to get into Docker, Brad. Mm, that's, that's too. the, yeah, I hear, I hear good things. It seems fine. Um, yeah, I, I still like just an iterated version number for something that is just released haphazardly because it gives you more information about how many releases there have been. I, I like it when big companies say, hey, we're going to do this. And we're never going to change numbering schemes again. Oh, yeah, that's good. And then this like three, four, five years later, they change numbering schemes Windows, again. Windows 10 is the last Windows ever. OS 10 is the last OS 10 ever. I, they made it 20 years on that one. I'll give them that. And I bet Steve Jobs never would have let this happen. <laughs> it's still, It would still be OS 10. <laughs> 10 is the perfect number. Um, XI is a much shittier Roman numeral. The last thing I'll mention here is that since I am, I'm on the like literally probably this weekend going to just finally slap a vanilla Linux install on my NAS. Ooh. Uh, I've been in kernel land a bit and realized how goofy and arbitrary Linux kernel version numbers are. Oh yeah. Like 5.19 of the Linux kernel, I think just came out or is about to. And like, they were working on 5.20 and then Linus just decided, actually, this is going to be 6.0 instead. Like he flat out, he flat out just said, like, I don't like version numbers to get too big. This is going to be six. Like that's kind of, we usually get up to about 19 or 20 and then it's like, ah, it's probably time to roll over to the next one. So in the old days, it used to be that the version, like in the old, old days, the version number would increment, the major version number would increment when something major happened, like a hardware, usually tied to hardware support or some new instructions or something like that. So it's nice that he's, he's lightened up in his older age. Yeah. That's, that's how the article I was reading, put it at least that this was pretty arbitrary. I'm like, Hey, Linux six, here you go. It's time. Look, he's got to, he's got to get to 11. So he's on par with the other OSs. That's that's yeah. Indeed. Pick up the pace Linux. Oh gosh. We had another podcast question that we didn't ask from XAMP Rocky. Well, okay. We'll reopen the podcast door one more time. In the Why Thread Matters episode, you mentioned that these days you often have topics that can't fill the full length of an episode. My question is, how do you know when a topic can't fill a full hour? Um, Usually we do a bunch of research and then we get to the point where like, I don't think I can talk about this for 45 (laughs) minutes or an hour. Yeah, it's it's really just kind of a gut feeling. Like if 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 we only get a page of notes and we've been reading a bunch of stuff about it and we're like, this this seems kind of boring. Yeah, Uh, we have we haven't killed killed too many of those. We we've we've dumped some of them into like a potpourri episode where we'll do two or three things at a time. Um, but I don't think we've actually killed anything at this point. Have we? I don't think so. We've done a lot of topics. It turns out after 160, like, 150 episodes, it's a lot of podcasts, quite literally about three episodes or about three years now. Yeah. We've, we burned through a lot of the obvious topics, although yeah. not certainly not all of them. Cause like we're going to do a Bluetooth episode and it's like, how did we not do that already? I think we looked at it and we're like, oh God, I don't want to talk about this. This is really complicated because we really need to do it. But that, what a Bluetooth episode means is we really need to do a Bluetooth episode. And then we also need to do a Bluetooth audio episode because it's complex <laughs> enough to warrant its whole own thing. Yes. Um, and there's some stuff that's just like obvious trash fires and you want to avoid because it's just going to make people yell at you on the internet. So, yeah, indeed. Um, 
How about a question from Grub? Mm-hmm. Uh, in regards to the Foo Story episode, uh, do you know anything about Jim Henson Company's live performance capture stuff? There are parts of that show where a handheld camera is following the animated characters around and it looks so much like the Foo Show stuff. Um, yeah, they do. There are a lot of ways to do hand, fake handheld cameras now that are real good. You can even buy plugins for stuff that will, for your animation pipelines, you can draw the lines in your 3D spaces. There's all sorts of, there's, there's even like motion track versions. So if this is a motion track show, you can put the, like we, we did a handheld camera with Foo that um, I don't think it was ever in anything that was public, but it's like it was shoulder mounted. We, well, we have, we have straight handheld, we had shoulder mounted and you could carry it around and you'd get like camera balance. We could smooth it out just like you do in a video game. So you'd have like, like, you know, basically gyro, like super duper gyro stabilization slash the best steady cam operator in the world. Um, Cause it's, it's all just software. Right. Um, but the Henson stuff, Henson's always been at the forefront of this. They did like, uh, for first, they did early animated faces with hand puppet rigs so that they could take their puppeteers and use the skill that they have in manipulating puppets and use that for CG. They'd build like cool armatures to control that stuff. Um, I want to say they did. Wasn't it Henson that did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle faces, the animatronic ones for the 90s right. movies? That sounds right. Um, like like it's like there's a there's a long history of technology and, and a, a friend of mine who's a puppeteer offered to introduce me there. And we just never, like, I never managed to make it happen because we, like, we, when we were looking at different ways of doing face capture or, or face animation, my a puppeteer friend of mine was like, you should just have puppeteers do this because they'll do a better job than, like, putting people in front of an iPhone and having them talking to the iPhone. Yeah. But the cost, turns out, there aren't that many really good puppeteers in the world. Um, and B the cost of adding a third person to the cost and complexity of adding a third person to the production instead of having just a face actor and a voice actor and a body actor, uh, but face slash voice and body actor was such that it wasn't, we, we, I, I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't think it was worth investing in. No, it was too scary. The, the thing you just mentioned about like kind of physical interfaces for non-physical effects Mm-hmm. Reminds me of something on that ILM document documentary on Disney plus that I've been watching, which I really need to go watch. I've got to watch it. Yeah. Um, on poltergeist. I have not seen poltergeist, but I saw this sequence. I guess there's some kind of like, there's a shot of like some gigantic orifice. Do you know what I'm talking about? That undulates. No, I've never seen poltergeist. It was poltergeist was a PG movie, I think wasn't, it? or was it house? That was one of those movies was shockingly PG rated poltergeist was, mm. Let's see. Boy, they don't really. Oh, PG. Yes. Poltergeist is in fact PG. Um, anyway, it's a gigantic orifice. It's like a giant colon or something that the camera flies into. Anyway, different segments of it undulate. Like they could make it like throb and pulse in different places. Just what I want from my orifices. Of course. Who doesn't but, want a throbbing orifice? But they hooked that up to like a tiny little segment of a piano. I don't know if, I don't know. It was like the eight or 10 keys or something, but it literally just looked like you know, if you sliced the, the end of a piano off and hooked the different segments of this orifice up to the different keys on this thing. And then Spielberg, when he was in the shop, saw it and he was like, oh, my God, I want to play that thing. <laughs> Literally played this giant throbbing colon with a uh, tiny segment of a piano. So interface is a lot of it's like how you control that stuff is often the harder part of the like. It's often harder to make something do something than it is figuring out how to control it in the right way. Um, one other quick thing that I was reading, I, I didn't realize that this is like the other direction of what you were talking about. Like they add fake camera shake to footage now. Oh yeah. Visual effects. You can, there's a plug, there's plugins for that in premiere yeah. or after effects rather. I was reading that it's like basically automated at this point that in fact, I, I want to say that some visual effects artists had said they can like literally recognize the, sh- the, the, the fake camera shake patterns in stuff that they watch because it's like all programmatically done. If you don't tweak it to make it look distinct, like it's just very obvious. I can't remember what it was. There was a, um, there was a, there was some footage a few years ago that people were trying to figure out whether it was real or fake. And the camera shake was actually the thing that tipped them off. Huh? Uh, because, because somebody was like, Hey, this isn't actually a handheld camera. This is one of the, this is one of the camera shake algorithms. And then they recreated the motion precisely by lining up the pattern. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it makes sense. Cause if you can smooth something with software, you can sh- add shake to it in software. Why not? True. Um, okay. Quick couple of questions here from moose. 
Uh, my significant other heard you mention a few months back, Will, that you use a fountain pen and they're interested in info, your current pen, ink, and paper choice. Uh, so I bought a starter kit that was recommended by someone by Lamy or Lamy. I don't know. It's a Lamy Safari. L-A-M-Y. L-A-M-Y. And I'm, it was like 25 bucks and it came with ink refills. Uh, and I just literally finished the first ink this, this, so I'm still going through the ink that came with it. I haven't gotten to the next, the next pack yet. Um, and then the paper I use most of the time is just field. I, I use field. I take notes in field notes. Uh, notepads there like little shirt pocket size I have, I have two sizes i have journalist size pads which are vertical opening uh slightly bigger and then i have uh shirt pocket size pads that i use for most things and does it I, feel very scratchy to write with no it feels really good does it really i would have yeah. thought that like like you know a ballpoint kind of glides in a nice smooth way i would i always thought that the to be honest, I always figured that writing with a fountain pen was a little bit like nails on a chalkboard of just like really just scratching it across the paper. Mm -hmm. If you are scratching, I think you're pushing too hard. Like you just want to barely glide it across the surface in my huh. experience. Oh, that sounds kind of pleasant, actually. Yeah. Uh, next time I come, I, I've got to bring, I have some stuff I got to bring over to you. So I'll bring it over and you can try it out mm -hmm. next time I come over. That sounds fun. Uh, question from Shayat. Have either of you read the Bobiverse books? If so, your thoughts and opinions. The main character reminds me of Will, only he spends the books uh, as the virtualized pilot slash OS of a von Neumann probe. How would you cope with being an immortal and technologically advanced being free to wander all the universe, but with only copies of yourself for companionship on your immortal timescale? That sounds horrifying. Oh, OK. So Bobaverse books are really good. Like they're they're they're. Uh, they're not as funny as like your Douglas Adams books, but they're they're thought provoking and interesting and weird in a way that I found quite delightful. Um, and I, I I don't know exactly how to take that Bob reminds you of me, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's OK, I guess. Um, I, I I liked Bob's approach to that problem, which I'm not going to get into because I want to spoil like the eight book series or whatever it is. But I uh, highly, highly recommend reading Bob averse. I, I would. Look, I, I, I mean, his approach is just, it, this happens in the first like five pages or 10 pages of the book. He, he just starts making copies of himself. Um, which is, I don't know that I would make copies of myself. Yeah. I mean, do they all have full agency because like just yeah. spawning a bunch of like techno gods willy nilly maybe seems like a bad idea. They, no, they're just like spaceships. Okay. Yeah. Interstellar spaceships, lots of power, you know. It's fine. What, what if one of them comes out evil? Well, what if, Brad? What mm. if? Um, I mean, obviously, look, same inputs, same outputs. Fair. You should should be should be they should all be pretty mellow. That's fair. I mean, the nice thing about the Bobiverse is that Bob is a pretty chill guy. Mm -hmm. So you know the the Bobiverse pretty chill place. Um, I don't know. I I don't know what I can't imagine what I would do with an immortal time scale. That sounds horrifying. I have no response. I, I don't want I don't want to live long enough to watch stars die. It's too big a question. Like I'm sitting here trying to wrap my head around it and I actually just it's it's dizzying. Yeah, like I think I think you I think like you'd go through a path where you do some like you do some exploring, you'd see some stuff. It's like it's like it's like when you're 30 and you're thinking about having kids, you're like, I'm going to go to Disney World. That sounds like it'll be fun. And you get to Disney World and you're like, man. I don't know if Disney World is as much fun as I thought it was. There's a lot of people here. It's it's I'm a little little claustrophobic and the rides are kind of like not like the roller coasters are pretty good, but they're not like you're not going upside down or anything really cool. Uh, and then you're like, well, maybe I should go do something in nature and you go do something in nature and you're like, no, nature's OK, I guess. And then you get real into like mountain climbing or some mm -hmm. weird hobby. And then you then you have to figure out what to do with the last 20 years of your life. And you, you get into probably, you know, acid or something. I don't know. <laughs> It's a good way to pass 20 years. Yeah. We just watched that episode of Star Trek where they genetically, like a society they come upon had genetically engineered a way for people to live, let's say 60,000 years each, something like that. Yeah. I think is how the math worked out. I, I, I would have to double check the math. Do you, do you know the episode I'm talking about? Like the TNG? No, no, no. The original series. The, the premise, the premise is that they, they engineer their biology in such a way that for every for every century that they live, their body only ages one month. So wow. you, can do, you can do the math there, but it's I don't quite, remember that one. It might be quite, from the last, I haven't watched as many of the last season. Also, well, it didn't work. Killed all the adults. Like the, the, the rub of the episode is that the, the virus that they engineered went haywire and killed all the adults and only the children survived. So now it's a, 
tiny island society of forever children. It's Lord of the Flies. Basically, yes. Yeah, no, I, I have seen that one. But setting that stuff aside, just the kind of thought experiment of like, how long is too long to live? How long How long before you truly get bored? Like, like human mind can't even comprehend of the idea of living for a thousand years, let alone that long. Yeah, I think the boredom like, would be the thing that would get me. Did, have you watched Strange New Worlds yet? No. You need to watch Strange New Worlds. Yeah, Brad. I should. It's really good. You also right. should watch Lower Decks. Both of those are very good. There's a new season of Lower Decks like next week or something. Okay, let's do two more real quick here. Gage 006, I live in an apartment with great Google Fiber. However, there's only one fiber jack in the living room and no Ethernet in the walls. What's the best way to get near Ethernet speed in my office? A cable in the hallway isn't an option. The, I'm going to make a novel solution here. Uh-huh. Living room in the office, office in the living room. Wait, I'm sorry. Can you Just flip-flop it. Huh. Yeah, these are okay. these are arbitrary constructs implied just, uh, impugned by society. You don't have to you don't have to follow society's rules. Who is your apartment complex to tell you that's the living room and that's the office? That's fair. That's you know, live how you want to live. I was yeah. going to say the, the the two I've never tried either of these, but the two classic options are uh, power outlet, power line networking. You're Mocha. not going to. I mean, they're fine. Mocha sounds like it's better than my my understanding. Again, you could look up numbers like. My understanding is the power line networking is less reliable and has a lot of latency. Uh, yeah, the power line network is more latent than Wi-Fi and also will um, has a tendency if the if the house is wired badly to bleed out to your neighbors. So you have to encrypt it. Oh, yeah. It's less of a problem now than it used to be when oh. they were all unencrypted devices. But now it's it's the same as using WPA with Wi-Fi, right? Sure. Sounds I think Mocha is probably a way better option from what I gather that that uses coax in your walls. So if you have coaxial cable, like from the cable company installed in multiple places, you can put adapters on there and run through that. And that sounds like it's pretty good. I think the big problem there is it's just pretty expensive. I think like. Yeah, they're 200 bucks probably for the boxes. Little, little bit of research, like the cheapest I've seen, like a pair of Mocha adapters was like 150 bucks. The, um, the other thing, the other option and. Wi-Fi AX is pretty good. Wi-Fi 6 is pretty good. You're going to have a little more latency than you would with a wire. Uh, the other other thing is if you have carpet in your apartment. Yes. You can do the old uh, sneaky run it around the jam, the cable under the trim between mm-hmm. the carpet and the trim. And that works great. And it no sure one does. will ever know. It sure does. I've done it before. Yeah. Just get a skinny, skinny Ethernet cable. You can also get flat Ethernet cables. Um, that might even slide into the trim with hardwood, hardwood if the trim is low enough. Yeah, like cable purists will tell you that that's not great for signal quality. You know what? Is it, is it better than Wi-Fi or worse than Wi-Fi? That's the question you have to ask yourself. I think they're, they're technically they're supposed to be twisted, right? But then again, they also said you couldn't round IDE cables and look at us now. Well, the pairs can still be twisted inside the flat one. Yeah, I think I think most of them are not is the complaint that I've seen. I think like, that's... I, yeah, I have a little flat Ethernet cable I use for something and it works fine. I, 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 what I will tell you is I have taken the four pairs out of Ethernet, an Ethernet cable before, untwisted mm. them, plugged it in and it doesn't work. Interesting. So they're doing something with the flat cables to make them work. I do not know what it is. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Last question. Hit me. It's another cake batter. Should I run for municipal council? Yes. Sure. Yes. Absolutely. Extremely yes. Cake, if you get elected to local government, I'm moving to your town. Or village or Hamlet or whatever it is. Did, did, did you, I started getting spam asking me to run for office last month or two months that ago. Interesting spam. Like text spam. Huh. Is that like scam spam? I'm trying to think what is their angle? Well, so I engaged because I was curious. Maybe, maybe it's just actually truly genuinely civic minded responsible citizens. Uh, it, it's an outreach group put together by the DNC. Oh, trying to get people to run for local office. And they looked at because they had my information and knew who I was because I had signed up to donate money at some point, hmm. they were able to look up my voting records and they were like, Hey, you voted in all of the elections. That's huh. pretty good. You're uh-huh. clearly interested. Huh? Um, I, I, I politely declined cause I'm over overburdened right now. I did not want to be the, on the garbage board of Pacifica or whatever they wanted me to run for. But anyway, yes, everybody should run for local office, run for the school board, run for the city council, run for, well, not everybody. If you, if, if you, if you think some people have more rights than other people don't run, mm, yeah. that's my advice. Yeah. That's, that sounds pretty sound. Yeah. Uh, I don't even need to know cakes electoral platform. I think cakes probably fine. His policy. I, I'm just going to assume if he gets elected, it'll, it'll be, it'll be a trash can generating weather data on every corner. And I am 
I'm excited for that. <laughs> Bringing the darkness to city government, local government. I, I'm all for that. Yes, indeed. All right. Brad? So, yes? Are we at the end? Oh, how, how do people, if people enjoyed this episode and would like to submit their own questions, how would they do that? If you're on the Discord, go to the questions seeking answers channel and drop them in there. Also, we, we get this pretty regularly. I'll just mention this real quick that uh, we see people once or twice a month saying like, hey, I can actually see the questions in here right now. That's just an artifact of the way the Discord hides questions, hides, hides comments. Yeah. If you're, what is it? If you're, I think if you're signed in and in that channel, when somebody asks things, you'll see that. If you are sitting looking at that channel while the people are posting questions, then they won't go away until the next time you exit and come back to the channel. Right. Yes. Yeah. So there's there's nothing we can do about that part. So uh, like don't don't also don't confess to murders or anything like <laughs> like I don't want to have to take legal action in that mm. channel. It's not this isn't a place. This isn't like confession to take that to your priest. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, Q's turning into A's. Yes, indeed. Or they can send their questions to the email address techpod at content.town. You mean techpod at content.town? I do mean techpod at content.town. And then we will occasionally turn those Q's into A's as well. That's right. Uh, also, we always end up with a surplus. We didn't get to nearly all of these questions Look, today. December is going to be oops uh, all questions month. I, We're just going to do a whole year's worth of questions in know, one month. October cast season is coming. Oh man, I haven't done an October cast in a long time. I, I cannot, I physically cannot stay up for 24 hours anymore. I just can't. Well, you know, Brad, there's two of us. We could do 12 hours each. Mm. Um, I'm going to be raising money for Able Gamers next month on oh, Twitch. Cool. And uh, excellent for the old timers who liked watching me build Lego back in the day, I've been streaming Lego builds at night, which has been fun lately. That does sound um, fun. But uh, this is the part of the show where we thank our patrons. Thank you, patrons, because TechPod, the TechPod is a listener supported show. We appreciate all of you all. You can find out how to chuck your support behind the TechPod at patreon.com slash TechPod. That's patreon.com slash TechPod. And you can join the ranks of our supporters, including our executive producer tier supporters, such as Andrew Slosky, Paddle Creek Games, makers of Fractured Vale, James Kamek, Joel Krauska, Octothorpe, Twinkie has a new pick in place, Wedge Assistant and Wedge, assistant to the Thread Club manager. Uh, we added an Australia channel to the Discord the other day. You did. Yeah. And we added a book club channel so they can have threads for each week's or month's books under the under the book club channel. I got multiple clubs now. Yeah. The book the book clubs, the book clubs going places. They're doing yeah. they're doing a lot of they're picking good books. I'm I'm excited about what they're reading. I think I'm gonna read yeah. the next one because I, I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but I remember looking at it and thinking Oh man, that looks pretty good. I might need to get on that too. I've got this new Kindle. I need to read more. Yeah, I, I, so I ended up getting one of the new Kindles the other day too, uh, when they were on sale again. Paper white. Yeah, paper white. It's pretty good. It's too big. Mm. I can't one hand it as well as I used oh, to. Really? I think it's, I think it's just right. Yeah. Anyway, um, we also thank our associate producer tier patrons at the uh, at the end of the month on the Q and A episode. So we would like to thank Andre M. Burke, Arthur Geese, Dave Ulian, Eric Klein, Graham Banks, Jad Rita, Jason Neeland, Jay Maybe, Joseph Thorne, Nathan Phelps, Steve Lynn, Thomas Shea, and Travis Rosner. Thank you all so so much. We appreciate you. Yes, thank you. Thank you to all. And. I think that's going to do it for us this month. I can confirm. It's going to do it. We will see you all next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.